read the first few verses of First Peter chapter 1 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ. And we pray that you would bless us to meditate further upon it this afternoon. And bless it, Father, to encourage us and strengthen us in troublous times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the purpose that Peter was writing to the disciples that were scattered in these various places due to persecution was to encourage them in their stability and their faithfulness and to keep them from letting the things that were happening around them discourage them and bring them to a state of despair. He immediately calls their attention to the source of their salvation, and he says, remember that God the Father has elected you. Remember that God the Holy Spirit has sanctified you and called you into fellowship with God. Remember that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, has cleansed you and is cleansing you from all of your sins. So he calls our attention to the source of our salvation, Father, Holy Spirit, and Son. And now Peter turns to the subject of the security of our salvation. Paul and Peter and all the apostles taught the security of the believer. And I don't know about you, but I am very thankful for the doctrine of the security of the believer. I've had friends when I was growing up that uh, did not believe this doctrine, and and uh, I had several friends, young people, that would go repeatedly to the altar to be saved, and to uh, they'd feel like they had lost their salvation. And they would go back to reclaim it. And uh, it's just, that's, that's not what God has called us to. God wants us to be sure. He wants us to make our calling and election sure, as Peter will say later. And he wants us to not be in mortal fear that we are going to do something that will cause us to be separated from Christ. And spend eternity apart from him, uh, suffering in, in, in hell. So, so 
I can see, I hope you can see, how that if we're going through troublous times personally, in our families, or in a church, or whatever uh, our situation might be, we need to reflect upon the security of our salvation. Now, we're going to say some things here that that uh, is going to make it very plain that the, the, the salvation that we're blessed to have and the security of it is not based on our human efforts to keep it. Uh, so it's, this, again, is pointing us back to God. So we want to say three things from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, about the security of our salvation. First of all, the proof of it. The proof of our salvation, that it's secure. The permanence of our salvation, which that's very close to saying it's secure itself, but the proof of it, the permanence of it, and then also the power that keeps it secure and it keeps us secure in Christ. So let's talk about the proof of our salvation and the security of our salvation. Now, if you're looking for security and you're looking for stability, where would you look? Would you look at the faithfulness of someone around you to some other man? And even if you looked to the Scriptures and you look to God, where specifically would you look for the proof that your salvation is secure? Well, Peter directs us to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again, unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection is a guarantee of what God will do for us in our future. The resurrection is is God saying, I've got the collateral. I've got the means necessary to let you cash in on the promises that I've made to you. Now, some of us have gone through the uh, torture of securing loans, and, uh, and when a bank wants to give you money and give you something or guarantee that you're going to have money, they want to know what you've got as security. And they want to know what you've got as collateral. A lot of times when you're buying something like a house, the house itself can become part of the security, part of the collateral that, uh, that, that, that guarantees that, that you will repay the loan. Well, now, what is it that God has? And when you call up on his, call his telephone line and call him and say, what have you got that guarantees that the promise you've made to me about the security of my salvation what have you got as evidence, Lord? And we're talking, we're talking respectfully. We're not, we're not being uh, flippant about this to the Lord. But Lord, what have you got that makes me feel secure and makes me know that my salvation is, is safe? And he says, look at the resurrection of my son. Look at the resurrection of Christ. I have begotten you unto a lively hope by the resurrection 
of our Lord Jesus, of your Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, this, I want to say some things about what we normally think about this, uh, which are true. We normally say that, well, Christ is the first fruit of them that slept, or them that sleep. And so we, we believe that, that one day, that there will be a resurrection of our bodies. And we believe rightly that the same power that brought Christ from the dead will one day quicken our mortal bodies by that same power. And we will have the fulfillment and the ultimate experience of our salvation. And so... Our salvation is just as secure as the resurrection of Christ. If that occurred, the same power, God says uh, in the book of Romans, among other places, that that that, uh, same power will keep us and will raise us up at the last day. But And so Paul says things like this in Romans 8, 32. For he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So so if, if he's given us the greater, he's sure to give us the rest. And so so that we look at Christ and we say, Well, is Christ raised from the dead? Is Christ sitting in heaven? Then I can be assured that God is going to do what He said He would do to all of those that put their faith and put their trust in Him through the grace of God. But there's something about this that uh, sometimes I think we overlook about this guarantee of Christ's resurrection being a guarantee of our salvation. And I think that what I'm about to share with you brings stability to our lives in the here and now, in the things that we experience that seem to be so tumultuous and so contrary to what we would like to see happening sometimes. And that is the fact that the resurrection guarantees that God's program for His kingdom will succeed. Now turn with me, if you would, the first Corinthians chapter 15, and we instantly recognize that as the, um, as the resurrection chapter, where Paul deals with the resurrection extensively. And um, uh, we can start with verse 16, for instance. It's hard to know where to start. Well, let's start with 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 16. For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised? That's an obvious conclusion. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, and you are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, 
Christ the firstfruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming. Then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. Now we say, okay, the resurrection of Christ guarantees that ultimately things are going to turn out right. And in the end, the kingdom is, is delivered up to the Father. We're all raised bodily. And we go to the Father and, and, God, and Christ gives the kingdom to the Father so that the Father can be all in all. But I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 25. For He must reign. Christ was resurrected. Christ ascended. Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father and the power and the majesty on high. And He must reign there, Paul says, until all He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now here's the, here's the application I'm wanting to get. If you were a Christian in Peter's day, and you had heard Jesus say things like, Fear not, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you had heard Him say things like, I'm going, the Father is going to take the kingdom from the Jews and give it to a nation bringing forth the fruit thereof. And you hear, th- hear Him say things like, The kingdom is going to grow and it's going to be like leaven placed in a lump of dough. It's a little speck of leaven that ultimately grows and permeates the entire lump of dough and controls the destiny of the lump. And you've heard Jesus say that it's like a grain of mustard seed, the smallest, but then it grows, it becomes the greatest, and the fowls of the air come and, and lodge in its branches. And you've heard these glorious promises from the mouth of your Lord about the future of the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, you find yourself cast out of the synagogue. You find your family separated. Jesus said, I came not to sow peace, but to sow discord and bring a sword between father and mother. And all of a sudden, you find that your faith in Christ is causing problems. It's causing a division. And you're even ha- you even have to leave your homeland and become uh, uh, scattered in the diaspora. And you're out there and you're suffering persecution. You could say to yourself, Lord, what happened to all of your promises about this glorious kingdom that's supposed to eventually cover the earth? What happened? And you start questioning that. And you say, well, maybe I've made a mistake. And maybe I need to go back to Judaism. And what Paul is saying to the Jews of his day, and Peter said the same things, and we should keep it in mind today. It does not matter what happens in a particular locale, in a particular time frame. We need to remember that the resurrection of Christ ensures that while He is reigning as the resurrected King of kings and Lord of lords, all the nations of the earth are becoming His. 
The kingdoms of this world, they are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. The Lord Jesus possessed all power in heaven and earth, and He said to His disciples, You go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. And brothers and sisters, the church has the power to convert the nations to Christ. And what this passage is telling us, and I think what Peter is telling us, no matter how discouraged you may be and how low your situation might be and you feel yourself to be so discouraged, look at the resurrection of Christ. Look at what it guarantees. It does guarantee that ultimately you'll be raised bodily too from the grave. But it also guarantees the success of the kingdom that we are participants in and that we love. Now, this passage is, is, is uh, misunderstood, but it's an allusion to Psalm 110, the most often quoted passage in the New Testament. And it says that Christ is going to reign until all of his enemies are made his footstool. And uh, the last enemy that will be made his footstool is death. And so look, the kingdom that we're a part of is ensured, secure, Salvation. It's the salvation that we've been promised as members of this kingdom is, is going to, uh, permeate the earth. It's going to accomplish what God sent for it to do. And it will ultimately wind up in all of his enemies being made his footstool. And then he'll destroy the very last enemy, which is death in the resurrection. Uh, we're not waiting to see Christ come back in order to see Him destroy all of His enemies. We're watching while He's reigning His church in the process of overcoming all of our enemies. And we know that He will stay in heaven until all of the enemies are made His footstool and then He'll destroy death in the resurrection. So Peter in writing to these persecuted and troubled and bothered saints that needed to be secured and, and, and supported and encouraged uh, regarding their, their salvation, he says, look, God has begotten you again by the resurrection of Christ. That, that one act speaks for the whole thing. Again, we said, uh, we talked about in the Lord's Supper a figure of speech where the thing symbolized, the symbol is put to be for the thing that, that symbolized. Well, this is, a, this is an example of where a part is placed for the whole. The resurrection, for Peter to say that you and I were begotten again by the resurrection of Christ is for him to put the resurrection for the whole program of the kingdom. And that is, dearly beloved, going to be a successful kingdom in every way. And uh, so, so that, that encourages us. So I know sometimes we get discouraged. We look around us. We see 
our culture right where we are. We see the, uh, we get discouraged about that. Uh, we get discouraged our, with our own selves. We get discouraged with, with people around, right around us that we interact with. And Peter is saying, look at the resurrection of Christ and all that it means. And look at that for your security. So he tells us the uh, proof that our, that our salvation is secure, and that proof is in the resurrection of Christ. Then he tells us to look at the, re- the permanence of our, reserva- of our salvation. It is kept in heaven for us. Now, uh, he says that uh, in, in, in um, verse 4, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Okay. We need to be careful to not become Gnostics. We need to be careful and not become dualist and believe that everything in earth and all of our flesh and everything that's material is wicked and only the things in heaven are good because God made everything to be good. And the problem is that sin has spoiled things. Okay, but God is in the, in the, in the process in Christ of undoing what Satan did and caused through Adam's sin. So I want us to, to get away from the idea that when Peter is talking about that we have an inheritance reserved in heaven, that our inheritance is exclusively after this life. Now, be careful of your words, Brother Mike, and be careful how you hear my words. Do we have a wonderful part of our inheritance after we die? Absolutely. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I want you to know something. We have our inheritance now in large part. Now, I'll give you a verse, Ephesians 1.11. that uh, says this, In whom we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. We have the possession of our inheritance in large part already. And it's not true that our inheritance is exclusively after death. Matthew 3, 5, 5, Brother Madge preached to us about the, uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit heaven, right? He used to say, no, no, brother, you read that wrong. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So, so we're not dualists. We don't believe that everything that God created is evil and that everything that's, that's spiritual, that he created physical, is evil and everything that's spiritual is good. We have inheritance now. We've been translated into a kingdom now. And we're possessors of that now. 
Colossians 1.13 tells us that. Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son right now. Now, I wanted to try to illustrate this using some illustrations from government. And it's getting harder and harder to use the government as a good illustration for almost anything. Now, But here's what I want. I'm going to try it. We have an inheritance that's reserved for us in Washington. The Constitution guarantees that we have certain liberties and certain freedom. Freedoms. Hopefully not down to one. Freedoms and that we have the right to personal property is one of those. So, I could say that uh, I have a right, I have an inheritance. In fact, I have a literal inheritance over on Straight Mountain. We talked about that a little bit earlier. I have an inheritance there that's reserved for me in Aniana and Montgomery because that's where the records are kept and that's where the authorities are that guarantee my inheritance. And my inheritance is somewhere else. And I'm enjoying my inheritance of a right to free speech and a right to religion and, and all the other rights that I have. I'm enjoying that right here, now. But the guarantee of that is on a document that's in, heaven, in, in Washington. Now, I'm not saying this is a perfect illustration, but I want to say this. When Peter says that our inheritance to which we've been called is incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth out away, it's reserved in heaven. That's where the power is that guarantees I have it, and I will keep it, and I will enjoy it. Now and forever. And so Peter is giving this to us to encourage us. What is the, what is the proof that my salvation is secure? It's the resurrection of Christ. What, where is the permanence? How, how, how do I know that it's permanent? Because it's kept by the authority of heaven. And, uh, just, I doubt that anybody's going to be able to go up and change God's mind and corrupt his record books for what salvation, what the salvation is that he's given me. So our salvation is, uh, we have proof of it and we have the demonstration that it is a permanent gift of God to us. Thirdly, the power that keeps our salvation secure. The power that keeps our salvation secure. Verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen to what God says through the psalmist in Psalm 37, verses 23 and 24 and 28. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. 
For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, beloved, there is a power that keeps our our salvation secure. And it's the hand and power of God. It's not our own power. There are all kinds of verses that tell us this. Let me just read a few. Psalm 97.10 Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Listen to Isaiah 54.17 No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. Doesn't that remind you of Romans 8? Romans 8 is talking about how we're justified. And Paul, at the end of it, asks this question. Who, who, can get, if, if, who can condemn us? Who can stand up before God's presence and say there is guilt and sin laid to this person's charge? Could Christ do it? Paul says no. Christ is the very one that died for us that we would be justified. Well, what is it that's going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Shall nakedness or distress or persecution or sword or anything like that? Paul says, he concludes by saying that, that, that no angel or principality or power or things present or things to come nor anything is able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. So the power that assures our salvation is displayed all through the Scriptures. Um, there's, there's something that Brother David Piles uh, mentioned Friday night in talking about this subject. Look, we have everlasting life. We have eternal life. Is that right? Uh, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Now, if it's everlasting, dearly beloved, it's secure. Because if you have a life that ends, either through your own sin or through the devil tricking you or, uh, or somebody doing something to you that provokes you to wrath, if you have something, if that life that's in you ends, it's not eternal life. And, and God tells us over and over again that if we love the Lord and we, we follow Him and believe on Him, that uh, we have everlasting life. Now, does it depend on us? It's a tricky question. Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, he said, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a commandment to us, and we're duty-bound to do that. But he doesn't leave it there. Because in the very next verse, in verse 13, he says, For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. So it's the, good, it's the Father's good pleasure to give the kingdom to his saints. And he, he does, he works in them the power that's necessary to ensure the security of their salvation. So Peter begins comforting us. Uh, when things are coming unglued around us, he comforts us by saying, look at the source of your salvation. 
Look at the work of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, look at the, uh, at, at the salvation that I've given you and, and, uh, and, and look, look at the, the, the security of it. Look at the proof that I've given that your salvation is secure. Look at the permanence of it and look at the power that keeps it on your behalf. I love it. If, if we get our eyes off of, if we get our eyes on things other than this, we're going to be very distraught and despondent. But I say to you, if we can keep our eyes on these things, that we will have a measure of peace and, and security and strength as we endure these trials. That's why Peter gave these to this, to this particular group of people. They needed these supports, and we need them. We need them today here in this place. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the word that you have given us. Lord, you said it would not return to you void, but would accomplish that for which you have sent it. And I pray that it would among us in this place. We desperately need it, Lord. We need the security and the foundation and the support that these truths give us. Lord, I know that there are members among us that are discouraged, and I just pray that your Holy Spirit would take these things and it would be a great blessing to the individuals here. And I pray that you would build up your people in this place. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.